Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing... The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mets fans, welcome to episode 209 of Amazing Avenue Audio, the official podcast of your SB Nation New York Mets site, Amazing Avenue. I am Brian Salvatore, and thank you for joining me on this official first show of the offseason. The Cubs are your 2016 World Series champions, a sentence I never thought I'd say, in all honesty, but here we are, and it's it was a great World Series and an amazing game last night. Um... I'm definitely glad I stayed up to watch it, and I hope you are glad you made the same decision. We're going to be talking about the Mets for the majority of the show, but first up, Chris and I are going to talk about the Mets, the Cubs, and uh, the World Series in general, as well as some other Mets news. So, take it away. Well, Chris, here we are, the first day of the official baseball offseason. I guess technically tomorrow is the first day, because the game ended, you know, after midnight Eastern time, so... Technically, the game ended today, but the uh, the curse is over. The Cubs won their World Series for the first time since 1908, beating the Indians 8-7 in Game 7 of the World Series. Um, 
you know, this is obviously a Mets podcast, but we'd be remiss if we didn't talk a little bit about the World Series and about that game in particular. Can Have you ever watched a World Series game that you'd say was better than that? Like, as a, as a functioning baseball fan, you know, I was 4 and 86. I can't really count that. Right, yeah, I was 2 and 86. Um, it's tough to think of one off the top of my head. It's one of those, you know, if I really comb through everything, I might be able to find one, but it would. I don't think there's any way that that Game 7 wouldn't remain, if not the best, at least in the top three. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, there's something... There was some lack of execution late in the World Series. You know, to me, it's crazy that the Cubs won the game when they had two runs score on a single wild pitch or pass ball. I forget what is even officially scored, but right. you know, on one play like that, which to me was the polar opposite. It was like the bizarro two Dodgers get thrown out at home, <laughs> right? Yeah, uh-huh. play in two thousand six against the Mets. I, I was there. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, as as was I, that was, you know, so seeing that was just kind of the, the complete reverse uh, scenario. So to me, it's crazy that they won the game despite that happening and despite Chapman, you know, blowing a lead. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, it, it was it was a whole lot of fun. Uh, I think I keep telling myself that the things I really cared about were taken care of. Once the Mets were gone, the Nationals and Giants got eliminated. Right. That's all I really cared about. You know, either one of those teams would have bothered me on a much deeper level. Absolutely. Uh, You know, the Cubs, I'm curious how long the transition from, you know, breaking the 108-year drought and being the perennial underdog to being America's most hated team takes. (laughs) Yeah. I I feel like it, it probably won't take long. Um, so I'm, I'm veering a little bit, but that, that game was incredible. Uh, you know, the, the bar that I watched it in was surprisingly loud for both teams. You know, I thought it would be very loud for the Cubs and maybe a few Indians fans, but, um, but yeah, it was, it, it was an all timer. I, uh, one of my coworkers today was her last day of work. So we went out to dinner last night for a retirement dinner and uh we went to this like very nice steakhouse a, a very swank joint that has a, a bar in there and i popped out to you know quote go to the bathroom unquote to check the score a few times and there were guys in you know expensive suits uh, screaming at the tv <laughs> it was i was shocked at the level of passion and again like i live in northern new jersey i'm not I'm not in Cubs or Indians country, but I couldn't believe how intense it was. I yeah. I, I think people just understood the uh, the longing that those two fan bases have felt for so long, you know. And uh, it was, I mean, it was certainly cathartic to watch the end of that game, you know. And I, I, I tweeted this right after it happened, but I've now seen the Red Sox, the White Sox, and the and the Cubs break their streaks. And all three of them, I didn't believe until the last out. And I'm not a very superstitious person. It's just that, you know, they they just they just hadn't done it for so long. And, uh, you know, I'm not I'm not a Cubs fan, but I, I found myself a little uh, a little emotional when it happened. It was it was pretty uh, pretty special to watch. 
Yeah, I, I might not have been as uh, I don't know. I, I didn't I didn't get a that sort of reaction out of it myself, but certainly a lot of people did. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I witnessed that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, did anything particularly stand couple- out to you about the game? I mean, aside from the the normal, you know, uh, the big the big stories of it. But was there anything uh, you know particularly interesting from from your perspective about the game? I think the three two bunt. Ugh. I, I I mentioned the other things that happened, but they also won despite that. That might be the single worst play in the World Series. When yeah. you, when you consider the leverage situation there. A three-two bunt. Ugh. Yeah, runner on third, one out, tie game. I, I just, yeah. Anything is better than that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. At least you know, at least with a traditional strikeout, you would have been attempting to make contact. <laughs> yes. But and and with a traditional strikeout, theoretically, the ball could get away from the catcher. Right. So you're taking that you're taking even the smallest bit of hope out of the situation. Yeah. But yeah, it's I guess I'm focusing on the Cubs negatives here, but <laughs> but no it really was I don't know, just a series of things that happened with them that I really that they could have cost them the game. I thought it was curious to take Hendricks out when they did. Yep. Um you know, the way Chapman had been used in game six obviously didn't help him in game seven. He wasn't in peak form. Um, and yet it worked out and they won. You know, I actually thought the rain delay was going to be significantly longer. Oh, me too. I started watching uh, another show and then my brother texted me and said, I can't believe it's only a 17 minute delay. And I said, What? And I turned, you know, turned the game back on. So, yeah. I just couldn't deal with any more Joe Buck at that point. Uh, yeah, I don't blame you. <laughs> I don't think as much, I did not watch every pitch of this World Series, but as much as I did see, a lot of it was on an iPad as like a secondary viewing thing. You know, personally, I, in terms of what I'm watching, I've shifted to hockey, uh, predominantly, but so it was either on an iPad or even last night being out, the sound was on, but the people were way louder than the sound. Right. So I didn't really, I didn't really hear him. You're a lucky man. Yeah. <laughs> and going into the World Series, he wrote a column about the history and calling games at Wrigley and all this stuff and whatever, and fine, nothing wrong with the column. But he pointed out in it that the, it was the 19th World Series he was calling, and I was like, ah, oh, man, like almost two decades? Yeah. This used to be Vin Scully's thing. At least know? it's not him and McCarver anymore. Yeah, that's true. But I, I don't know. I don't know who the new voice is who it should be. I mean, other than <laughs> give me give me a World Series booth of Gary and Howie. Yeah. Um, well, but... they they keep talking about Matt Vaskersian being the new the the, the guy in waiting, and, yeah. and I don't I don't think Vaskersian's very good either. No, I know he he was in a video game that I had at some point. <laughs> That's what I think of him as every time I hear him calling a game. See, he do, he does the thing that drives me crazy when a national announcer does it, like. When when you're listening to a local broadcast team and they get emotional because there's a home run or a strikeout or something, it feels legitimate. But he'll be calling a game he doesn't give two shits about, and then a deep fly ball, Bam! and lets out this like the scream of a home run call, and it's just so phony and so cheesy, and ah, oh, I can't take him. Yeah, can't I'd much him. rather I'd much rather have uh, old friend Kevin Burkhart line up 
for the gig. And it's funny because, you know, I think as Mets fans, we got to hear Kevin sort of give it a shot with play-by-play when they did some of the Cyclones broadcasts. Yep. Spring training. When Gary would be doing basketball during spring training, he would do some. Yeah. And and I think, you know, we kind of got to hear some growth there where early on it maybe wasn't super smooth, but and it's a different sport. And I think baseball has its own rhythm and challenges. And you hear Howie talk about it. I think he wrote about it in his book. Um, you hear Gary talk about it. And, you know, not everybody can do baseball play-by-play. But, you know, we heard Kevin go from experimental to, I think, showing improvement in calling on the sport. And then football, he's just I, – I truly enjoy listening to him call that. So, you know, he's had his profile rise a lot within Fox, albeit in – you know, in the studio for baseball and in the booth for football. But mm-hmm. if it comes down to it, I would much rather he be the guy on track than Vescarjan. Uh, I don't, I don't think it's really close. I know I'm not the first person to suggest this, and I believe this used to happen many years ago. But they should have um, for the home team the play-by-play guy, and for the away team the color guy do the games. And so it yes. switches throughout the series because then you would at least get people who are familiar with the teams and could go more into the nuance. You know, it really drove me crazy last year with the Mets in the World Series because you just felt like the announcers knew so much less than you did. And right. I understand that it's out there for a national audience. Not everybody follows the team with the passion that we do, but it still felt it just to me, it's not hard to bring people up to speed. But if the announcer isn't up to speed, you can't bring the listeners up to speed. Yeah, I, I would. I'm hoping that sort of the landscape of television changes a little bit too. Uh, I mean, we've seen some of that change already in, in the way that people consume it. Uh, so I'm hoping the blend of internet and television broadcasting gets to a point that SNY and whoever can pay their booth to, you know, call a game as like a secondary audio stream or something. Right. Where, yeah. you know, MLB TV has the ability to choose what you want. Uh, you know, some sort of blend with that where I, I think ultimately I'd be surprised if TVs weren't really internet dependent, even for just for regular television. Uh, right. So, so you can have something on a menu and say, Oh, audio track, you know, national english sny spanish you know from uh, from the radio call um or i mean hell at that point you did just a spanish national call either either way you know yeah um but you get some options of, of what you want to listen to and in the grand scheme of things you know those networks paying their guys to do some playoff games is not really costly no not at all considering and And they probably wouldn't have to pay the national guys any less yeah yeah i I think it would just be a you know tailor it because the sport can be both things it can be this national spectacle you know which i think it very much was with this world series with the cubs but you know the the people who've invested so much time in the teams I don't think anybody wants to not hear their own announcers, unless yeah. maybe they're White Sox fans. Maybe <laughs> they might not want to hear them. Well, I, I, and this is harder to do, but it's it's a simpler solution though. I just wish that the radio and television broadcasts were synced up better. 
yeah. because I've tried in the past to put on the WFAN back in the day. You know, like in in '06, the away games, I would listen to to Howie calling it and watch it on TV. But it was it was off, you know, by 15 seconds or so, and it made for a very jarring experience. Yeah, yeah, I've uh, <clears throat> I've taken advantage on my Mac, um, and I'm. <laughs> They're not a sponsor of the show. <laughs> I, I just love their software. It's not cheap, but I've taken advantage of Audio Hijack, mm-hmm. which is a really cool uh, Mac piece of software to record. Basically, anything your computer can make sound with. Um, so I've used the delay features in that and the streaming radio because that, you know, real radio is the fastest. Right. Streaming radio is still usually well ahead. Uh, at least three or four seconds in most cases ahead of the TV signal. Um, so, you know, I've taken the streaming radio, delayed it, played it through my speakers in sync with you know, with the game on TV. And it's really, the, the nice thing about baseball is every time somebody makes contact, that's a very unique yes. sync point. It's, you yeah. know, it's like you get that, like a beep almost. Uh but that's elaborate. I, I would like to move to a point where you don't have to do all that. Yeah. So uh, now that we've gone well down national broadcasting. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's all right. But let's talk about some of the Mets news for today. Um, the Mets officially picked up the options of Jay Bruce and Jose Reyes and officially declined the option of Jonathan Nice. So the Reyes option doesn't matter what it's actually on paper for. They're paying him the league minimum in 2017. Jay Bruce's option is for 13 million, and the declined Nice option is for 10 million. Um, remember back when that Nice contract looked like it was going to be a steal all the way through? Yeah, yeah. I mean, in fairness, even as bad as he was, he was. I'd say this year he was probably overpaid, even though they weren't really paying him for most of the year. But overall, that contract was still fine oh yeah but yeah if there had been a breakout you know it, it would be i don't even want to mention these two guys in the same podcast never oh, mind sentence. but the, the ultimate bargains are bump garner and sale right <laughs> yeah. so if we want to say like the extra 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 light version of that if niece <laughs> if niece had turned into maybe a perennial uh 3.4 ERA guy, right? That that's pretty good. It's not yeah. great, but it's pretty good. If he's that guy, uh, he would have absolutely been picked up, you know, by whatever team he was on at this point for next year. And instead, he looks like eh, you know maybe the the major league future there is not certain, right? You know, I mean, he he's probably better than the number five on the Twins as currently constituted, and the right. Twins, the Twins. Although I'm still shocked that Dylan G didn't end up there. <laughs> uh, and this could all change now that they hired a, a brand new front office. So it's sort of a dated reference. But if if there's somebody in the Twins who still wants to go get John Neese, it wouldn't shock me. That's probably true. Uh, we've talked about the the potential of trading Jay Bruce now that he is under contract for $13 million for the season. And we talked about Reyes because the Reyes move was expected. Um, none of that's shocking, though. I think that's what you'd expect them to do with all three of those options. Um, what was uh, certainly less expected this week and really 
shameful and terrible is that Mets closer Jay Reese Familia was arrested on domestic violence charges for assaulting his wife at their Fort Lee, New Jersey home. Um, we've, we talked about this a little bit when the Mets brought Reyes back, just the, uh, the difficulty in rooting for somebody who, who had been, you know, so terrible to their spouse. And, you know, we, we, we both feel like there's no room in baseball for domestic abusers. This is especially unusual because Familia just recorded a PSA against domestic violence a few months ago. Right. And I mean, that's not to say there aren't hypocrites in the world and that, but it just seems like of all the Mets that you would potentially think you'd think that because he took the time to be a part of this, he would not, um, or he, he would at least be more mindful of his actions. But if we can separate this from baseball for a second, do you think he still has, not based on his performance in 2016, do you think he's a uh, Met next year? Hmm. So obviously they had no hesitation in picking up Reyes' option and keeping him on the team for next year. But, you know, how how much can they do? And, you know, we're still operating under the you know, the premise that these are accusations against Familia and he hasn't been convicted or, you know, legally or suspended. Or charged even yet. Right. Yeah. So, you know, in the context of all that, I, I'd love to hear a story that makes sense that he didn't do something terrible, but I'm very skeptical that's going to be the case. Um, so if we assume that a suspension is likely, I think that seems fair at this point. Um, you know, that, that is some level of acknowledgement that something happens. So if that is the case, how many players can the Mets have on a roster who have that, you know, that knock against them on, you know, on, on, on their record, whether it's a legal record or, you know, a major league baseball suspension record. And at what point, you know, it, it, there are a few things that, that kind of come to mind with it. Um, one, you would hope you'd have a million better reasons not to do it other than that you recorded the PSA. Right. But it's sort of like the safety net, the last resort in his brain. You would hope that he would go like, oh, shit, I, you know, I, I have my face out there and public on tv in times square at, at the ballpark telling people that i'm not you know this isn't okay i can't be the one to do it you know you you would hope that that might have occurred to him at some point i he am also- not trying to make light of the situation at all but do you remember that episode of saved by the bell when there was the guy filming the anti-drug psa who then tried to get jack tried to get zach to smoke a joint with him no oh, yeah, no that, that's- i i uh I watched a good amount of Saved by the Bell in some at some point uh-huh. in the early '90s, um, but I don't remember that specifically. Oh, okay. Yeah, it, that, that was one of the first things I thought of, actually, which shows you how pop culture saturated my brain is. But you know, <laughs> I, I I completely understand what you're saying. Yeah, I think that there's there's kind of two different things that we have to consider here. First of all, there's something about giving somebody a second chance that feels different than 
I don't want to say letting them off the hook because that's not the right wording. But when they brought back Reyes, it was very much, look, we know he fucked up. We're giving him a chance to be, be to move past this. It was a. It, it just seemed like there was more of a clean break between the action occurring and him coming back to the Mets. Right. And I feel like with Familia, there's not that clean break, which from a just a, a PR, how does this feel standpoint makes it tougher. Um. It would also be different if Reyes was not on the team, as you alluded to. You know, how many guys with the history of domestic abuse can you have on one team? So, I think if Reyes wasn't on the team, this would be a very different conversation, also. Um, yeah, <clears throat> because as you add up, even just even if it's just two, you know, yeah, then okay. From the Mets' perspective, are you now not just giving people second chances, but are you condoning it? Right. You know, I mean, it, if if anything, being in a clubhouse with a guy who, you know, when they signed him, I think relative to how a lot of sports teams have handled these sorts of situations, maybe the Mets, what they said maybe wasn't perfect or ideal for what everyone wants to hear, but it was, it was probably a lot better than, certainly a lot better than what the Giants have said you know, with, with Josh Brown, yeah, <laughs> the Giants GM after they released him, you know, timed for the bye week when nobody was around, and then they come back off the the bye and he is in front of the press, uh, you know, and that I'm I'm laughing a little because it's ridiculous, like you said, not making light of it, just you, you, like you have to laugh at the absurdity of it. Right. So he he gets in front of the press and and repeatedly tells them to stop asking questions about it because he won't address it. So from that standpoint, Sandy Alderson handled it a million times better, you know, in terms of at least acknowledging it, saying saying some of the sorts of things that I think people who who care about this would want to hear and, you know, not not just pretending it didn't happen or, you know, deflecting and, and refusing to acknowledge it. Um, you know, and I, I know there's a little difference. One guy was incoming, the other one was outgoing, but you have all that. But the the Mets, you know, what do you – Familia played in a locker room for half a season with the guy who should be the example – you know he's getting his second chance, right? And I, I would hope that being around someone who has that is, is not just that it's not just written off as, you know, oh, you know what, whatever. Like you know he's he's here. We don't really know what happened. That kind of thing. I would hope that that the other people around him uh, would see that example, <clears throat> see that example, and see just some of the things that he had to go through uh, and, and they, they're not nearly as bad as the things he did, but you know, I, I don't know. I just would hope that there's some example. And if, if Familia did this, it seems like that had absolutely no effect on him. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's, 
I have a real problem. Like one of my friends told me, uh, she said when the Mets re-signed Reyes that she's still going to watch Mets games, she's still going to root for them, but she's not a fan anymore. And she just said that like she couldn't bring herself to be a fan of a team that would hire somebody with, for, who had committed domestic violence. And while I understand that, I, I'm also the type of person who really believes that people deserve second chances and that people make mistakes, terrible, horrible mistakes that never get totally erased away. But they, they I don't know if necessarily one mistake should should paint you with the scarlet letter forever, right? So I'm not saying that Familia is a monster or that he can't be redeemed. I just don't know from the Mets perspective how they can bring him back this year without looking like they're soft on this issue. Right. And it's, you know, I mean, the and one of the other players who has received a suspension was the guy on the mound toward the end of the World Series. Uh, not not at the very end. Right. But, you know, it's... Uh, and that was an even crazier situation with yeah. guns firing. Right. Oh, yeah. It, it, it was. Uh, one, of, one of the things with Familia, too, if the Bob Clappish um, piece where he sort of detailed Familia using, you know, the, the last name that he doesn't use anywhere else. Right. Uh, not alerting the Mets to the fact that it had happened before the press called the Mets to ask them about it, all that kind of stuff. That, those are the kinds of things that I could see you know, it, it's what you said, you know, the, the clean break. Reyes was far away when this happened. Yeah. And he had served his suspension and been released. And then it, it's a lot easier to for them maybe to look at that and see a fresh start. Whereas, you know, you, if you've gone through this and if Clappish's account of those events is true, I could see them just being angry with Familia I would still hope primarily for doing it, but right, right. After that, you know, the the extra might be that, you know, that that he really tried to somehow not have people know that this happened. And let's be fair here. I think there's a perception difference between Reyes and Familia in terms of one happening far away, etc. But there's no difference in what they did. I'm not oh, trying no. to, uh, you know, and I know you weren't saying that. I just want to be very clear that we are not saying that one was better or worse than the other. These are both despicable acts that we, you know, that we that we shouldn't have to be talking about in this circumstance. Yeah, yeah. It's, oh uh, man. <laughs> yeah. So for. For strictly baseball reasons, and I think this sort of ties into the the email that we have this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, for strictly baseball reasons, there was, you know, a familiar read was something you'd look to compliment uh, on the field next year. I was, you know, we we had made the case on the site uh, that familiar has been really good. Uh, even his postseason numbers were a lot better than I think people gave him credit for, and all that. And then all of a sudden. He goes out and possibly, you know, does this. And it just sort of, it, that is the first thing in the in the primary issue, but it it definitely has an effect on 
the bullpen. So even if they try to get rid of him, uh, you know, and, and I think that's where the email makes sense here. Yeah. Um, well, let, let's address this before the email for one second here. You know, I, I know that there are lots of guys, and we talked about this in the past, lots of folks who are down on Familia because of the um, the occasional home run of the postseason. You know, for somebody who doesn't watch every Met game, if they just watch the big ones, I can understand why Familia might look less steady than he is. But do you think that the Mets could use this public reaction against him as an ex- as an excuse to get rid of him without without bearing all of the uh, consequences of getting rid of him if, if there wasn't this event? Is this a handy scapegoat, I guess, is what I'm asking. Yeah, I mean, it, it could be, right? The the people... I don't know how much uh, overlap there is between people who hate Familia for baseball reasons and people who care about <laughs> right. athletes and domestic violence. I have, I honestly have no idea. It could be 100%. It could be zero. <laughs> right realistically it's probably somewhere in between but i I don't know but if they were to decide to get rid of him now and and even if it was exactly like chapman when he was traded to the yankees where they have to take a return that's really you know diminished from what it would have been otherwise you'd probably get a collective reaction from a significant part of the fan base that would be like, yeah, you know, I, I never liked the guy for, for, you know, the way he pitched or I'm done with the guy because of what he did at home. Right. Uh, so yeah, I think, I think it could be that where a whole lot of the fan base might not care if he's gone. And that's, that's crazy that, that, (laughs) you know, a few days ago, I, that's not something that I would have ever considered. But to me, it's it's kind of the perfect, kind of the perfect storm for a front office, because the people who want the team to take a stronger stance on domestic violence issues can see this as basically both sides can see it as a victory for their particular opinion, right? Unless they trade him and then go out and sign Chapman, which I don't think they're going to do because I'm still skeptical that they're going to spend money. And I know we're very early in the off season. I'm not trying to oh overreact to, to the early things, but when you when you hear someone, you know, Adam Rubin doesn't make stuff up. You know, he might he might put a negative spin on things and try to poke Mets fans a little bit generally. Oh no! But but somebody who works for the Mets told him that Jerry Blevins might be too expensive for them. Like that come That's uh, insane. Right. Like that's unless oh, it's because on. they're signing Cespedes. <laughs> giving Walker a qualifying offer and bringing in um, Kenley Jansen. Then right. I can understand it being too expensive. Right. But in isolation, you hear something like that and, you know, whoever whoever's leaking that to to Ruben, just just don't do that. Unless you really don't like where you work, you know, and, and you're just trying to <laughs> Get sabotage Mets yeah. ticket sales. But, <laughs> but yeah, I... I you hear those sorts of things, and and you know I'm, I'm skeptical that they would spend big money, one at all, and two on a late inning reliever, even without Familia. Yeah, that's probably right. Yeah, well, let's let's get to our email officially now. This is from uh, our friend David Ramos. 
said, hey guys, enjoy the podcast. Here are a couple of possible bullpen additions I believe can be made to bolster the Mets' pen. Number one, how about Sean Doolittle? I would imagine a Nimmo and possibly Yanoa for Doolittle could be a good deal for both teams. He would be a power lefty for the pen. You would have to give up some value for him because of his team-friendly contract. Then I would, uh, two, he says, I know this won't happen, but signing Mark Melanson, and then he'd trade Familia to fill a hole elsewhere. Uh, so his top three in the pen would be Melanson, Reed, and Doolittle. Um, let, let's take this not from a uh, realistic, would this make dollars and cents sense position, but how would you feel if that was the, the, the top of the Mets bullpen? I mean, that, that should be a pretty, you know, good bullpen. Uh, I like Doolittle. I support trading for players named uh, the same as Pixie record, Pixie's records. Amen, my friend. <laughs> uh, and let's see, Doolittle is signed through 2018, guaranteed at affordable salaries, and then I think his 2019 option. I think there's an option there. I think it's pretty affordable, too. Yeah, it, he signed a pretty team-friendly contract, and he's he's not, um, you know, the overall numbers may not be quite as good as, say, Addison Reed's this year, but this is a high strikeout, low walk pitcher who, you know, I mean, he, he hasn't been on the field completely over the last couple of seasons, so I think there's a little bit of concern with that. Um, off the field... He and his wife are very entertaining on on Twitter. Uh, you know, they went out of their way to <clears throat> buy tickets for the LGBT event that the A's had the first time they had it. I think yes. Um, so they, you know, I like Sean Doolittle. Uh, Me too. From afar, yeah. I, you know, easy guy to root for. Pretty good performer. I think there's some question marks. You know. If he's a good but not dominant reliever and you don't know... I mean, it, all things went pretty well this year, but it, there's some injury history, at least, that you have to think about. Um, if they can get him from the A's, great. I don't know how easily Billy Bean's giving up somebody who's that cost-controlled. Um, and I'm just coming back around. Oh, there's actually two options. Really? Uh, yeah, nineteen twenty nineteen is six and twenty twenty is six and a half. That's that's nothing. So, right, yeah. So he's I think it would take too much to pry him away. Even though I think it would be very much in Billy Bean's wheelhouse to trade away a reliever. Yes. Um or or anyone really. <clears throat> um I wish he was the Josh Donaldson of <laughs> Of relief pitching, uh, and that's not an insult to Doolittle. Josh Donaldson's just really, really good. Um, but yeah, I, I like him. I think that might be tough to pull off, but if they could pull it off, I'd definitely be on board. And Melanson, I think, is somebody who, you know, we talked to Chapman Jansen specifically because they were pitching against each other at the time. But Melanson's a really interesting guy who probably will make less than those two. Uh, but he's been really, really good. He he might he might even have a better twenty seventeen than one of those other guys. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, in a world where that's realistic, you know, um, that should be a really good back of the bullpen. 
You know, I don't think anybody is going to match uh, the Batances Miller Chapman performance that the Yankees had. The no runs DMC crew. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> uh, or or the Royals at their healthiest with Davis Holland and um, a couple other guys, Kelvin Herrera. Um, Who's the other one? There's one more though. Yeah, that guy. You all know that guy. You're yelling in your pod (laughs) in your iPads or iPhones right now. Um, Yeah, you know who we mean. So yeah, it it wouldn't be that. I don't know if any team out there is going to be able to match those levels of late inning bullpen dominance, but it'd be one of the better bullpens in the league. Yeah, and it's a bullpen that you would hope if the starting pitching is healthier, wouldn't be as taxed as they were this past year. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I'm curious to see how much these playoffs have an effect. And I think managers were are still going to approach it as the regular season being completely different from a postseason. But I'm curious to see if there's any effect on how guys are used and, you know, how often they pitch, how long they pitch if they come into games much earlier than we're used to seeing them, all that kind of stuff. But, uh, but yeah, that, that bullpen's probably pretty good. And again, three days ago, I would have said trade familiar. What are you nuts? And now it might happen. I still, I still don't think it's all that likely that they trade familiar, but I think it's possible. Certainly. Um, before we wrap up, Chris, we're getting into AAOP season. We're getting into uh, big-time speculation season. Is there one sort of uh, – aside from signing Cespedes, which we all know is the priority, is there one area you think the team really needs to improve upon and you want to see them focus on for their for the next you know few weeks and months? Hmm. You know, it's funny. They have so many outfielders. You know, Even in a non-Cespedes world, uh, I would like them to still trade Bruce. I know I might be hoping for something that is unlikely. but I, I agree with that. I'd still like Conforto and Granderson to be the guys in the corners. I'd even roll the dice on Ligaris in the center. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, the... The combination of of those guys, um, that to me, the outfield should be okay, preferably with Cespedes in it. But even without him, the outfield could be pretty good. Um, it's you know what you lose with not having Cespedes in the lineup, and where do you you know where do you make up for that? And it can't just be healthy Duda, right? Who who does? But it can't that can't just be the plan. The plan this year was healthy Cespedes and Duda. You know, yeah. Um, so I think keeping Walker would be a pretty high priority for me, especially if, if there's a situation where he'll accept the qualifying offer. Yes. Um, because that – I I like the concept of, you know, TJ Rivera and Wilmer Flores and even, you know, uh, on days that David Wright's playing third, Jose Reyes playing second. 
right? The, I can see a lot of ways that some of those guys can combine to make that position strong. But this goes back to something that we've seen as the Mets have been good over the last couple of years. I'd much rather have those guys be the plans B and C and have a, a plan A at second base. So I know second base probably wouldn't be the top answer for a lot of people. I think for most Mets fans, it would either be the rest of the bullpen, especially now that we have at least some uncertainty about Familia either being on the team or being suspended for a big chunk of the year. Um, the, the bullpen and catcher. Uh, and I get it. You know, Travis Darno was pretty disappointing this year. Uh, and, you know, Ploiecki was even more disappointing. And Rene Rivera, I think, was liked because he came in and, and did what he was supposed to do, but it still wasn't great. Right. Um, it's just the alternatives, you know, I, I, I know there are other options out there, but I don't think Wilson Ramos is a fit because I don't, I can't see, you know, paying him the kind of money he, he'll probably command when he might not be around for a lot of next season or certainly not able to catch on an everyday basis until right. his knee is completely healed. You know, Matt Weeters has been, Weeters has sort of been a, a healthier and, and I'm saying this for a guy who had Tommy John and, and missed a lot of time, but he's, he's been sort of an overall healthier, hyped catching prospect who's never really hit that well, you know? Right. I think overall the park-adjusted, league-adjusted stuff, he's actually not even hit quite as well as Darno. So they remind me of each other a little bit in that regard. So that's a it's a long answer, but I'll go with second base. Uh, and I understand if people are more worried about catcher and and, uh, and the bullpen. Yeah, I think mine is catcher. Ideally, and this is probably not going to happen, I would love the Mets to upgrade catcher with the idea of you're really upgrading for 2018. And it's somebody who could maybe be in the minors for another year and give give Darno that one last shot to make it to make it work to put it all together. Because I do think that if Darno is healthy and if he's playing well, you don't get too much better than that offensively right. for a catcher, you know. Uh, but I also understand the need to eventually cut ties with that idea. Yeah. So yeah, it'll it'll be. Uh, it's an interesting off season in that they still go into it with more. There, there's more controlled talent than you know than they had in any of the off seasons and maybe even including last one um but there's still question marks you know yeah yeah um so that does it for for us for right now stay tuned for the rest of the show and we'll be back next week My name is Aaron York for Amazing Avenue Audio, and today we're going to talk about the Mets' left-handed relief options heading into this 2016-27 teen offseason, and this is coming off the news on Wednesday, November 2nd, um, Adam Rubin from ESPN, the Mets reporter, he is taught, he 
said on ESPN that the Mets want Jerry Blevins back. Of course, he was the wonderful lefty specialist for the Mets in 2016 after he broke his arm twice in a snake bit in 2015. He had a great bounce back year. He only made $4 million. Everyone was happy. The Mets want him back. In addition to Josh Edgen and Josh Smoker, the duo of unproven lefties that are still under team control. But Ruben also says that the Mets front office expects Jerry Blevins to get significant offers, uh, multi-year offers from outside the organization. So that could make him someone who could come with a high price tag. He's 34 years old. He is coming off of a good season. He's had a great track record with Oakland and Washington that caused the Mets to trade for him uh, they traded away Matthew Dendecker to Washington prior to the 2015 season for his services, and that obviously paid off in a pretty big way a year later. But the Mets might be better off just letting Blevins walk and relying on either one of or both of Smoker and Edgen to get them through in the lefty specialist role in 2017 because it would be a, a lot less expensive. Maybe they could save money and put that into a Neil Walker contract or into a Ioannis Cespedes contract even, and this point would be moot if we knew that the Mets had a lot of money to spend. We would just have them spend a lot of money on all these players because of the the postseason window for them is still open, and they should do whatever they can to get through and try to create a championship team. The problem is we don't know how much money they have to spend, so The bullpen, which is full of volatility and uncertainty, is a good place where you can save money, especially if Josh Smoker can post strikeout and walk numbers like he did in this uh, towards the end of 2016 with the Mets. He has he had 25 strikeouts and four walks in just 15 and one third innings. Those are even better than the strikeout and walk numbers he posted with AAA Las Vegas, where he spent most of 2016. And critics will hopefully look past his 4.7 ERA. He did have some issues with the long ball last year. He allowed four home runs in those 15 innings, which, of course, is the equivalent of about two two, uh, lengthy starts for a starter. So four home runs a lot. Those strikeout walk numbers are really, really special, though. And if the Mets trust Smoker over a full year, which would be about three times or four times, four times would be a Pedro Feliciano type workload, uh, the amount that he pitched in 2016, then maybe they can just go forward with him and not worry about paying paying Blevins. It is a small sample size for Smoker, but we know that he's been posting big strikeout numbers in the minors, so it might be a worthwhile thing to do if they think that the home runs will go down. He did allow home runs on about a quarter of fly balls, albeit there were a lot of fly balls because he did not get the ground balls. But the home run rate is due to regress, but it still could be an issue that rears its ugly head in 2016 if the Mets go with him in more of a full-time role. Josh Edgen missed all of 2015 due to injury after a really surprisingly good 2014 campaign with the Mets. He came back 
he came back last year towards the end of the season, and he had issues with control, and that was persistent throughout his campaign in the minors and in the majors uh, in Las Vegas and with the Mets. Josh Edgen walked more than five batters per nine innings, which is just unacceptable for any pitcher. It doesn't matter if you're a left-handed, right-handed bullpen starter. That's a really poor number. Now, he only pitched 10 innings in the big league, so... Again, it could be something correctable. Back in 2014, he walked just two batters per nine innings and was a really effective lefty specialist for the Mets. His ERA was just 1.32. He looked like a lefty specialist that could be really affordable for them for a number of years, but then he got hurt and missed all of 2015. So maybe Josh Edging can be, well, not a reclamation project because he's been with the Mets his whole career, but maybe he's someone who can turn things around now that he's healthy heading into the 2017 season. Josh Smoker, if he keeps those strikeout rates going, can also be really, really good. Those are two options that the Mets have if they want to save money and let Jerry Blevins go. And the goal is not just to save money for saving money's sake. They want to be able to bring back guys like Neil Walker, who's the only decent second baseman on the free agent market, and bring back Ioana Cespedes, who was the one consistent offensive threat all of last year. And to do that, they might need to let Blevins go. Uh, based on the what Josh Smoker and Josh Edgen have done for them in the past, there have been bright spots for, for Edgen. It's not that recently. For Josh Smoker, it's very recently. So... Hopefully they can rely on those two guys going forward in 2017. And if Jerry Blevins doesn't, if he takes a hometown or a, or just a, he didn't really grow up with the Mets, but if he takes a discount, that's great. But if not, the Mets have two options that might just be able to work out just fine. So that's good news as the Mets head into the offseason with a lot of work to do. This has been Aaron York from Amazing Avenue Audio. This is Caitlin McCabe with this week's edition of Forgotten Mets. I think you can name this baseball player. In eight years playing pro ball so far, he's been assigned to five teams. The Arizona Diamondbacks, the Oakland Athletics, the New York Mets, the LA Angels, and currently the Cleveland Indians. But hold on, you aren't missing him in the World Series. The outfielder has spent most of his pro career in the minors after being drafted out of Kentucky by the Diamondbacks in the fifth round of the 2008 MLB Draft. Give up? I'm talking about Colin Cowgill. On December 18, 2012, the A's traded the outfielder to New York for Jeffrey Marte and was, and that was then named the team's starting center fielder in 2013, following an impressive spring training showing. Most memorably, however, on opening day, he hit the first grand slam of any Mets player in 18 years when he got a dinger in the seventh inner against the San Diego Padres. But that strong start for Cowgill in the Mets quickly went downhill. After a pretty lousy start to the season, he was sent to platoon in center field with Jordani Valdespin before being optioned to Las Vegas at the start of May. By June, Cowgill was designated for assignment and was ultimately traded to the Angels for Kyle Johnson. After playing nine games with the Indians this season, including opening day, Cowgill was sent to the minors. He was designated for assignment in early fall and elected free agency on October 5th. 
For more trips down Mets memory lane, be sure to look out for the next Forgotten Mets segment on Amazing Avenue Audio. Hey Mets fans, Greg Karam and Steve Seiper here once again to discuss the Mets minor league system. And I promise we will not talk about the AFL this week. And, <laughs> but Tim Tebow hit a double. But I said we weren't going to talk about it, so we can't. We can't do it. And he also got. Ah. He, he also pulled. He also got hurt today, as we record this on Monday. Uh, so we might not have to worry about Tim Tebow for much longer. <laughs> but I said we would not talk about the AFL because we have given far too much coverage to the AFL, far more than it deserves. So today we are going to so there's going to be plenty of time to discuss the high-end prospects in the system. You know, your Rosario's, Desmond Lindsay, who I like, uh and those types of guys, Zapucky. So what we want to do is kind of maybe take a look at some of the more fringy guys um who are not named Ricky Knapp. So what we're going to do this week is we're going to talk about Nabil Chrismat. I have no idea if I'm ex- uh, pronouncing that correctly. Probably not. Um, I can just only imagine, based on what we used to call Robert Gazelman, uh, <laughs> we don't find out about how to pronounce these guys' names until maybe about double-A, I'd say. Um, but anyway, so Nabil Chrismat. He is someone who the Mets signed out of Columbia in 2011. I am relying on Steve for that. I asked him right before we just logged on. But he's been playing <laughs> he's been pitching in the Mets system since he was uh 17 years old in 2012. He was in the Dominican Summer League. So he's been around for a while and he kind of popped up on my radar maybe I guess last year when he was pitching in Kingsport. And Jeff went and saw him, and he liked him, and his family members started following him on Twitter. (laughs) So he put up good numbers last year in Kingsport, um, sub-3 ERA, striking out a guy in inning. And then this year he comes out and had, like, just, I mean, statistically speaking, a terrific season. He He started out in Brooklyn. He had about a 3 ERA, struck out well over a batter in inning. Then he bumped up to Columbia and continued to do the same thing, only with even better results. So, Steve, you uh, accidentally saw Chris Matt pitch for Brooklyn. Right. right. Tell, he, t- uh, tell us that story. Um, yeah, I went to see Dunn, and you know he, he Dunn put in his three innings, and then uh, I think Kyle Renault relieved him and then in the fifth it was Chris Mott pitched the rest of the game he got the uh, all timey save pitching from the fifth to the ninth and honestly it felt like I basically got up to go get you know some food and some lemonade and by the time I sat back down and mind you the line wasn't particularly long or anything like that but by the time I sat back down it felt like three innings had passed <laughs> He just, I, you he know, I was watching. Yeah, and when I was, that's actually one of my notes right here. He works fast. Mm. He just gets the ball and he throws it right back at you. So that's always an appealing thing when you're watching a minor league game. I was looking at the um, game day information for that game specifically, and the most pitches he threw to any one batter was six. <laughs> that's pretty good. Yeah, yeah. So 
I watched. Um, I was actually struggling to find a good camera angle because I watched it on um, MILB uh, TV, and uh, a lot of his games were not on. Uh, I like to watch it from behind, like from center field. Uh, some people like watching it from behind mm. the catcher. I I, I kind of like it from the other angle. So I got a start in his first start at Columbia. Yeah, it was the Rome Braves, and they have a great camera. Uh, so just watching that. And also another thing. So there's another – there's an app out there. Have you heard of the iScoreSheet app? Yes. I yeah. downloaded it once, and I couldn't figure out how to work it. Ah, it's terrific. I mean, it, this is – so for our listeners, this is a – so if you go to a minor league game and you st- say you sit behind home plate, there's going to be uh, s- uh, some guys sh- – some pitchers on the team who aren't pitching that day, they're going to be sitting there and they're going to be punching things in. They're going to be, you know, what's the word? Um, tracking the game on their iPad. Um, there's a word for it. I forget. Um, uh, I can't remember. Anyway. so Plotting. The, yeah, I know it, what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah charting, charting. Charting. There you go. There you go, charting. So they're charting the game. They're, they're uh, logging ball strikes, swing and miss, uh, the pitch type, and the velocity. And... So, I think I think I discovered this through um, Astromets, you know, the the, the prolific commenter uh, on Amazing Avenue, who also had his own blog. But uh, they those those stats, those uh, velocities and pitch types, get logged into this iScore sheet, and you can just log in and you can you can look at them. So we can get velocity and all that kind of stuff. Anyway, that digression aside. So I watched uh, the Columbia start. And I noticed this guy working really fast, just kind of mowing these guys down, batter after batter, just really, like, overwhelming them. And so here's the repertoire, right? So he's got a fastball, which, according to the iCast, iScore sheet, whatever, 88-mile-an-hour fastball, pretty much steady throughout the, the, the start. I didn't even actually see him get above 88. It was, like, mostly 88, <laughs> 87. It was, like, every single pitch. Uh Second pitch, the most, the best and most obvious secondary pitch was his changeup, which was just. I mean, it was a really, really good changeup. It had a lot of late break on it, uh, and the hitters just could not handle it. I mean, they were swinging on top of it the entire, the entire night, and um, it didn't have much separation. It was mostly like 82, so it's like a six mile an hour separation on the fastball, which wasn't ideal. And then the third pitch was a curve, which early in the start was not looking good. Very slurvy and in between, but as the start went along, he started dropping them in for like called strikes. And yeah. it was looking, it was actually looking quite good in later innings. So. So that's that's what you got. You got a fastball, uh, change and a curve, eighty-eight. Um, is that does that line up with kind of what you saw, or do you remember, or what? What do you think? Uh, yeah, I know from just reading. I believe it was uh, Jeff. Jeff. Jeff was at the same game, so I remember reading his write-up, and he had gone. I didn't, so he wrote that he was topping off at about. Um, he had a. Uh, high sixties curve, twelve six curve, which he he was he was throwing. I remember that. Mm-hmm. Um, I always have a problem differentiating of you know, uh, changeups, but uh, I think he would mix a couple of uh, sliders in 
slurvy, you know, slurvy curves that didn't really have much of a defined 12-6 break. Yeah. Yeah, and that's the, that was the thing. I mean, the, 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 the app actually, I mean, it's very helpful for just kind of confirming to some of the things that you're seeing. Um, the changeup was actually quite apparent while watching it on the on the TV because it just had so much late movement and you could see the batters just being so off balance. Now, um, later in the season, he actually got bumped up to double A and he was actually topping out at 90-91. And I got two sources on that because the app was saying that and then I spoke to Jeff who had people there who also confirmed that it was 90 to 91. So they were, you know, looking at two separate sources. So that kind of changes the I mean, if that if who knows if that's legit. I mean, that's that was end of the season. He's maybe em- emptying the tank, but still if you take this guy who has a pretty decent repertoire and then if you bump him up to like 90 91, which is, you know, at least major league velocity. It's not 20 velocity, you know, it's 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 on the scale. Yeah. Could be interesting, right? Yeah, I mean, the difference between, like, a 97-mile-per-hour festival and a 99-mile-per-hour festival really isn't that much, but the difference between, you know, an 89 and a 91 is is exponentially different. Right. The marginal gain there is, is enormous. Uh, so... All that said, what do you? What's your feel on him? Like, where where would you, like, what do you think he's gonna be, and where do you think he fits in to the Mets system in terms of like a ranking? I think one to maybe ten, like our top prospects that we kind of all consensus uh, agree with more or less. Those are all pretty set. I think that ten to twenty is you know another kind of solid group, but there's gonna be a a lot of kind of mm, difference of opinion. You kind yeah, of have it's, like it's twenty very, to thirty. Yeah, very and interchangeable. I think Chris Matt, Chris Matt fits probably somewhere in twenty to thirty, maybe twenty-five to thirty-five area. I if it was me, I agree with that. I definitely agree with that. I'm not yeah. sure exactly where I would slot him in right now, but that's 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 part of the larger. Um, the larger thing going on with the Mets system right now is that I think, and I'm, I've got a couple of posts that are going to be going up on AA um, either this week or next week, I'm not sure when, but soon, and uh, I'm just, just kind of talking about the depth that is within the system right now, and you have a lot of, you have some high-end talent in the system, and then there's a lot of guys in there who have like sort of they're like 45 grades which you know it's like it's like a it's a bench player or like a utility guy or a bullpen arm and there's a lot of guys in the system who kind of fit that projection right now and it goes deep it goes into like the early 20s and so with a guy like Chris Matt like I'm not comfortable saying that he's gonna pitch in the majors but I'm not saying it's out of the question and like I this is a guy who's I think he. I mean, he's probably going to pitch in Double A for sure. I mean, he already has. Um, and once yeah. you're at, <laughs> once you're at Double A, like you know, you're you're right there. So, um, you know, it, it's obviously going to be dependent on if he can hold that kind of velocity. And if he does, then it actually does become an interesting profile. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 
I mean, he's he doesn't have one standout tool necessarily, but some of his parts is you know is a decent uh, you know. But the you know sixth, seventh starter, backup guy when you need someone. Yeah, absolutely. So um, anyway, so just that you know that was a just wanted to talk about some of the more fringy guys, people who may or may not make our top twenty-five list whenever we put it together, uh, which will be coming together at some point and probably being rolled out, I guess. Um, in a more dead area of the off season, maybe around early January, you're gonna start seeing other lists come out. I know Baseball Prospectus is rolling out their list uh, shortly uh, after the World Series is over. So, uh, and hopefully, we're gonna have Jeff on to talk about it. So, so yeah. So um, that's everything we have for this week. Um, Steve, you got anything else? Are you good? Ah, I'm good. I'm good. All right, he's good. All right, so we'll see you again next week in the same spot, maybe talking about another fringy uh, Mets prospect. folks that does it for another installment of amazing avenue audio thank you so much for listening as always check out amazingavenue.com for all mets news and analysis and we're going to be doing our aaop amazing avenue offseason plan contest coming up very very shortly when you hear this it's probably just a day or two away from it being online it's where uh for those that haven't done it before it's where fans amazing avenue readers listeners etc we uh, put together our plan for the Mets offseason. You know, we give a budget and some parameters, and then we vote on the best plans. And it's a lot of fun, and we're going to be doing uh, our own AAOPs on the show in a few weeks, but definitely participate in that, and uh, it's going to be a great time. You can also find Amazing Avenue on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, at Amazing Avenue. You can rate, review, and subscribe to the show on iTunes. Find us in Stitcher or your podcatcher of choice or download directly from blogtalkradio.com. And you can follow all the contributors for this week's show on Twitter. Aaron is at, um, I am blanking on the Twitter handles. I'm going in a different order. I'm going with the regular order, okay? I am at Brian Needs a Nap. Chris is at Chris McShane. Aaron is at APY5000. See, I knew if I did it in order, I could do it. Uh, Steve Saipa is at Steve Saipa. Greg Karam is at Greg Karam. And Caitlin McCabe is at KAM3194. Thank you all again for listening. We'll be back next week. And now that the World Series is over, I can say it again. Let's go Mets.